welcome to the Green Element Podcast Christmas Special Edition. I'm your host, Will Richardson, and today I'm going to be talking to coffee business leaders and innovators who are transforming their operations and disrupting the coffee industry to be more environmentally and socially sustainable for the future. Did you know that 2 billion cups of coffee are drunk every day? That's a hell of a lot of coffee. This drink has many health benefits and it's at the centre of our day-to-day life, work and our family and friends reunions. But what is the social and environmental impact of a cup of coffee? This episode is being sponsored by Cafe Direct, who for the last 30 years have empowered small coffee farmers to improve their livelihoods. They have been drivers and trendsetters for fairer trading across the industry. Roxy Rocks Engelman, our first guest, is their sustainability communications manager and talks passionately about their incredible journey from the mountains of Machu Picchu to the UK. I will also talk to Tim Wookie, co-founder of Mamus, providing specialty grade coffee to help create a better business for the farmers and a more joyful experience for the drinkers. Guillaume Legrand from Tout will take us to the sea to tell us the journey of transporting large amounts of coffee in a carbon neutral way by harnessing the power of wind as traditional sailing used to do. Last but not least, I'll be joined by Matt Keniston from Biobean who will make us love coffee waste and will blow our minds away with the array of efficient and sustainable products that they produce from recycling used coffee ground. Make yourself a warm cup of coffee and be ready to be immersed in the fantastic world of your favourite drink. Rox, welcome to the Green Element podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am really looking forward to, um, I guess, delving more into Cafe Direct and what it is that you guys do from a sustainability point of view. I mean, yes, you are actually, you are a client of ours, which is amazing and awesome. But so therefore, I do know a bit more about your organisation than I normally do when I interview people. But saying that, I also know what an amazing organisation you are and what you actually have achieved over the years that you've been around. And that's the bit that we want to try and draw out and pull together. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Will. Yeah, very excited to um, uh, to be here um, and to uh, be involved in your, your series. Um, we are really excited because I think Cafe Direct, particularly um, at the moment, um, we're actually being advertised on telly, which is our first ad campaign in 10 years, um, oh, wow. which is pretty incredible. Like, honestly, watching Channel 4 after 24 hours in emergency and suddenly you see Cafe Direct advert and Machu Picchu and the, you know, the mountains rise and it's uh, it's incredible. So, no, it's a very exciting time for Cafe Direct um, despite all the challenges. Um, but, yeah, very happy to to talk a little bit more about our impact. Because you've been a massive drive, would it be fair to say, a driving force within the coffee um, industry? Because you, you, I mean, you really are a trendsetter as an organisation. Cafe Direct was formed in 1991 by four UK charities 
in response to the international coffee crisis, where the markets just suddenly plummeted, which meant that lots of coffee farmers that were obviously relying on um, coffee as part of their income, uh, it was costing them more money uh, to make the coffee than it was than they were receiving it. So essentially, uh, the impact was was felt kind of globally um, across across the coffee um, countries and. Um, Oxfam, Twin Trading, Equal Exchange and Tradecraft came together um, as a response to find essentially to start a kind of direct trade, like a way to actually support producers by selling coffee here and and in other countries, but predominantly UK then, um, and then pay a fair price. So part part of our um, ambitions really, so our whole mission is around empowering smallholder growers to improve their livelihoods. So part of that is that we we, um, we want smallholder farmers to be able to diversify their business, um, and that means by selling to other customers as well as us. So no one exclusively sells just to Cafe Direct. And next year, we will have been trading for 30 years. So we were set up really as a social enterprise. So that means we, we reinvest our profits into our mission, which is empowering smallholder growers. And um, partly... At, that comes from us because of our because of our mission and our ambitions um, for smallholder growers. We we've always worked quite differently. So um, another consideration is that we were one of the first UK uh, coffee companies to certify 100% fair trade products. So in 1994, so 25 years ago now, um, we uh, I believe we were the first roast and ground coffee company to be certified fair trade and and it was about uh, paying what what's fair brilliant welcome to the green element podcast tim thank you so much for joining us today i am looking forward to finding out more about coffee and speciality coffee and um more about the journey that we potentially go on while drinking coffee um could you tell us a bit more about Tamamus and um yeah where you come from and what you're doing hey well yeah thanks for having me on i think the first question that most people ask me is why have we got such a silly name for our business and um it, it, it retrospectively it is a bit but it but it actually means we love in latin and that's really where the genesis came from you know what i fell in love with the stories behind specialty coffee and i didn't think they were being particularly well told uh, so we wanted to create a business that brought those stories to the to the fore and created I suppose a more joyful experience around drinking coffee in the workplace. I studied product design in uh, a university up in uh, Salford, and uh, my final year project was a was a coffee machine that I designed. So I don't really know where it came from back there, but uh, and I look back and I still find it a bit bizarre because I certainly wasn't drinking great coffee at university. But I designed a coffee machine as my final year project. So my interest was clearly there, uh, you know, early on after I left school, um, and then. Uh, fast forward, uh, I was running a marketing agency in London and uh, we sold it and I started to develop this idea, uh, this coffee idea, which came from me being sat in my kitchen just after my birthday. My wife had bought me some, I think 250 grams of Jamaica Blue Mountain coffee, probably from, I don't know, Harrods or something because she knew I liked, enjoyed my coffee and it purported to be the best coffee in the world. 
and I sat down, I ground this coffee, I just got a new grinder as well, and I, and I, and I sat there, I drank it, and I was transported away. It was just the most amazing uh, taste experience. It was soft, silky mouthfeel, just really mellow. It was, it was beautiful. And it was pre-kids, so I was really able to enjoy that experience without being interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that, that, so, so I was like, well, how can a coffee taste this good? How can it taste this, this different to other coffees that I've drunk? So I started to read about it, and I, I understood that there's a persistent blue mist, which is why they're called the Blue Mountains, and it sits over the, over the mountain, and it slows the ripening process by kind of up to 25%. Every single bean is sorted by hand to make sure any defects are removed. You know, it's, the, 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 the terroir and the climate is perfect for growing coffee trees. And I thought, you know, this is what an incredible story. No one's really telling the story very well. I think, we, I think we could do it better. So I started to develop a coffee business. So if you look, our business was incorporated back in 2011. But then um, I got offered a job uh, and I just had kids then. And I thought, I'm going to take the safe option and take a job at the... The idea never went away. And my wife said, I'd like to start working again now. So she, uh, so I said, well, look, we've got a coffee company incorporated. Why don't you start that? And she looked at it and said, look, we could do uh, something around expensive, luxurious coffee, or we could supply good quality, specialty grade coffee into businesses. So she started with a couple of clients and ran it on Tickover for a few years. So we have been trading for maybe four years. And then uh, I was looking at this business and I thought, time's right for this you know people are looking for more ethical ways of doing business they're looking for more stories around what they're buying and i think we can connect this with with with, with sort of the, how how new businesses are coming through Matt, welcome to the Green Element podcast. So you work for BioBean, an award-winning clean technology company, first in the world to recycle used coffee grounds on an industrial scale. What's the story behind BioBean and how have you got to where you've got to? It's a great story. Arthur Kay was the founder of BioBean. He started in 2013. Arthur was a, an architecture student at UCL. He was tasked, uh, I think it was in his second year, of looking at the coffee shop and making it more sustainable. Arthur, very bright lad, um, realised there was all this coffee waste coming out. Thankfully, UCL, where he was studying, world-class laboratories, so literally took a, a bag of waste coffee grounds into the lab, gave it to the men in white coats and said, what is in this? And they then said, you know, we've got oil, we've got the fragrance compounds, and, you know, carbon biomass. So, you know, it, it, all around, it, it's an amazing resource. So Arthur then sort of put some people together, got some minds around it and thought like, right, how do we do this? But you can't just go and buy waste coffee grounds. You've really got to kind of disrupt the the, the market a bit. Um, you, you've got to put yourself between the coffee shops and the, the landfill, between the coffee shops and the anaerobic digesters and say, hey, this is the best way to recycle your coffee. But that, that takes time. So 2013, I think our first product to market was a coffee log and that was in 2016. Right. Uh, so that was the, the first product. So it took a long time from, from the idea to actually have a first product and then to be at the scale we are now, where you know we're processing thousands upon thousands of tons. And we're a workforce now, I think, of about 38 people today. And if you imagine there's, there's, you know, there's an office staff, there's finance, there's marketing, there's sales, there's feedstock in but there's also you know, a factory where we're running 24-hour shifts at the moment because we're starting to build coffee logs 
before the winter season. So you've got you know, a factory with forklift drivers, with engineers, with, um, you know, it's a big enterprise now. Guillaume from Tout, thank you so much for coming along on the Green Element podcast. What is it that you do, you know, in a nutshell, really? We use the wind and try to harness it to transport uh, large amounts of cargo in a CO2-neutral way. Um, just to develop uh, a little more, uh, we charter existing sailing vessels. We've done so for the past 10 years. We've uh, moved about a 1,000 tons of cargo. We can be coastal, crossing the channel or along the European coast or across the ocean. Uh, so we started trading goods, buying and, and selling goods for what? they were uh, noble enough and good enough to be transported by sail and for what they had an, uh, virtually a nil carbon footprint and then started working on uh, behalf of third parties or cargo owners and then uh, we uh, have invested the last three years in uh, R&D and are about uh, to uh, launch the build of um, a 67 meter, 1,000 ton uh, carrying three-masted uh, sailing cargo vessel um, with, um, you know, a middle, large or, or middle-sized company on board importing cocoa beans and coffee at the freight freight that includes uh, the fair deal for the planet and that allows the um, the cargo owner to apply on each of the product a label called animals that actually documents and gives the end customer uh, customer the uh, the information about how uh, the crossing happens. Rox, would you like to just pull some information out of that for us so that we can start to understand the impact that you guys have? Since 2004, we've contributed over £19 million worth of impact. To put that in slightly more useful context, that means just from last year, um, we made a profit of um, just over a million pounds, so million and two hundred, something like that. And we invested a million of that back into impact. And so therefore our profit was only around 200k. Um, so that sort of shows you genuinely how committed we are as a social enterprise to invest monies back into um, impact. And really that's broken down into three key areas. Um, so one is um, through fair trade that I mentioned earlier. So um, the premium, that 20 cents per pound, really adds up. <laughs> so um, over a slightly longer term, so 2004 to last year, um, we've invested over £10.6 million in fair trade premiums. And what that really means is it's an opportunity for co-ops to choose themselves how best to spend that money. Um, so whether it's um, improving the quality because they're buying um, a new washing station to wash their coffee um, and it's much better and everyone can benefit from that or um, investing in um, sort of infrastructure uh, the sort of things that we're probably familiar with like water projects and um, schools uh, buildings that sort of thing um, and then there's quite a lot of sort of softer skills so more sort of um, training on how to kind of 
you know, um, assimilate other people and, and to support them through that journey of how to um, share and and collaborate on best agricultural practice, those sorts of activities. Um, we've also invested money um, through purchasing organics. So last year, a headline um, for us is that we uh, now source over half of our coffee is certified organic by a soil association. Is the quality better because it's organic? It's partly informed by cooperatives. So um, um, a lot of the coffee co-ops that we source from, so we currently source from 20 coffee cooperatives directly, um, they have been using methods that would uh, qualify for them to be selling their products as certified organic, but not all of them are able to afford to pay the um, the fees to be certified um right but but a lot of them actually have been in practice are doing the sorts of things that you need to be to be certified organic so for example um that means sourcing kind of local natural inputs um so rather than relying completely on artificial fertilizers um being able to kind of invest in your land is key to your profitability um it makes commercial sense and um so yeah the shorthand to organic is that you're trying to use yeah, natural natural inputs um you are yeah it it means that you're trying to create an ecosystem where other diversity can kind of flourish um and that sort of diversity in your um planting means that you've got more nutrients in the soil which attracts different wildlife um because of the variety and, and so on. So it's kind of building, I see it's building up a kind of picture of good health by yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. providing all the different inputs. Interesting, interesting. And so where would a lay person be able to buy speciality um, coffee, Tim? Specialty coffee, would you, I mean, can you buy it from a supermarket or do you have to go to particular people to buy it like yourselves or? Yeah, you can buy it in the supermarket, and it's usually marked up as such. It, it will say specialty grade, grade coffee on there, uh, and it will come with a, a lot of information, usually an altitude. It will certainly come with a co- the cooperative or the farm information. It will have come from a – it will have a lot of transparency associated with that, with that coffee. So uh, that's really what you're, what you're looking for. Uh, the best place to go, in my view, is your local roaster. Uh, if you go down, find your local uh, roaster – you can ask them if what they're distributing is specialty grade coffee. And if they are, then they will give you all the support and advice you need around the coffee, where it's come from. Um, and often they'll, they'll know what sort of social initiatives are happening on the ground. I mean, we've had some coffees where, we, you know, where we know that, the, that the, on, at a farm level, there's, there's schools and creches for kids. So when laborers are on the farm, they know their kids are getting education. These are the sorts of coffees that we all should be investing in that kind of create a benefit at a farm mm. level, as well as, a joyful experience when you're drinking your coffee. You know, that's why we see this as a win-win. We need to create a better, a better, um, a fairer distribution of value across, you know, the uh, down the supply chain. And we need to create better experiences when people are drinking coffee because awful coffee is still rife in the, in the UK. I suppose really what, what, you know, where we're trying to get involved in trying to support the growers because the truth is, is the majority of farmers around the world are growing coffee that's going into the commodity supply chain and that coffee the price that a farmer can achieve for that coffee 
is only linked to supply and demand on the New York Stock Exchange. So they're often paid, I don't know what today's C price is, but the C price is, is locked on the stock exchange. So the farmer often receives less, less revenue for his crop than it's cost him to grow it. And that's a growing problem now. And it's compounded by climate change. So yields for farmers are, are, are often down um, because uh, leaf rust is a terrible problem, which is a disease that affects coffee plants and reduces yields. Changing weather patterns, storms, all of that is reducing farmers' yields. And on the basis that the price they can achieve per pound of coffee is locked uh, to supply and demand, it kind of um, they're, they're unable to um, earn a sustainable income out of their farms. So what we're seeing is uh, what corners are being cut environmentally and uh, socially. Uh, people are walking off coffee farms that they've been farming for generations. So it's a sad, it's a sad backstory. But we, what we found was a, a shining light within the sector, which was. Uh, the specialty um, sector. Matt, tell us more about what you, so you're taking these used coffee granules in from a variety of different sources and what do you make them into? There's an amazing array of properties in waste coffee. When we think about waste coffee, especially coffee that comes from sort of the retail coffee ship machines, the, you know, the, the big chains, the bean to cut machines. I mean, that's, you know, coffee's an amazing resource. Um, you know, it's grown, it's roasted, it's then used, but we only really, we, you know, we run some hot water through it. You know, that releases some of the lovely flavors that we end up in our, our hot cup of Java. But a lot of those amazing compounds, the smells, the fragrances, the reasons we drink coffee in the first place, are still prevalent in the waste, not in, in such great abundance. So when we get the waste coffee into our factory, you know, there's the, let's say the smell, the fragrance is still there. There's amazing sort of colorants in there. Um, there's nuttiness, there's roastiness. So we can actually distill those from the oils and from the coffee grounds, concentrate them. And we've actually got a raw material for other ingredients. So it might be an ingredient in a drink, in a food, in a, it could be a cake mix. It could go back into the coffee world. It could go into cosmetics. So that's the, the sort of biochems piece is really important to us. But it's a, you know, coffee is, is still an amazing resource, even once we've had our coffee. So you've got the biochem side, You've also got lots of oil in coffee, but you've also got the solid biomass as well. And that solid biomass is an amazing fuel. So you can turn that into a, a pellet, which is for sort of industrial boilers. So we've got people burning our pellets that were originally burning oil, so heating oil to heat greenhouses over the winter. They've now swapped their boilers for biomass boilers, and now they're able to burn our coffee pellets, which was you know, destined for landfill to actually burn those coffee pellets in their biomass boilers and heat their greenhouses. Those greenhouses could be growing salad crop for the supermarkets, and actually we collect a lot of waste coffee grounds from supermarkets. So you've got this lovely kind of circular loop thing going on, a circular economy piece, just with our coffee pellets. We've also got a retail product, which is our coffee logs. So anywhere you can burn a wood log, you can pretty much burn a coffee log. And we started selling those two seasons ago and we've gone from selling i think we sold 70 tons in the first year to 700 tons i think last year we sold about 250,000 units that's an eight kilo bag of it's a solid fuel you know people burn it predominantly in sort of you know eco design stoves in their homes and guillem i mean this is this is so funny isn't it how we're uh, almost going back in time 
mm-hmm. um, with what you're with what you're doing. If I was a coffee company, um, is it more cost effective to use you? Shipping doesn't charge you for the emission uh, of uh, mostly CO2, but also sulfur uh, gases that it emits into the atmosphere, especially in the international waters where it doesn't exist virtually legally. Um, so we are trying to say, look, you are a coffee importer of a very nice origin. You're, you're, you know, you want to promote your coffee from Colombia or from Mexico. And we've got the capacity to move 50 or 100, 500 tons of coffee on your behalf. Um, would you think uh, that if for each voyage uh, we uh, can um, publish um, a film about the cooperative you work with, about uh, the uh, the stevedoring company that loaded the cargo and then do a portrait of the, each of the sailors and give your end customer the exact GPS footprint, how the winds actually pushed the um, the ship uh, to the UK and you could tell your end customer that you contributed to uh, the savings of 500 tons of CO2 which is about 110 grams per bag uh, do you think that would promote uh, your origin and the way you source your coffee in Colombia for something that uh, altogether uh, costs in the 10 or 15 pence per bag because that's only what it ever costs and um, probably some would say yes and there's no better uh, way to promote an origin uh, a soil a way to do things a taste than to actually promote the way it's come to you we're actually trying not to be sort of environmentalists or uh, uh, activists but actually to promote a positive commercial offer on the lo- in the logistics so we're trying to change that and offer something that's positive brilliant so rocks um producers direct um they are a subsidiary of cafe direct aren't they and um could you tell us more about them please yeah, sure. Well, yeah, not so much subsidiary. So um, when Cafe Direct was founded, we had uh, a charity called Cafe Direct Pro- uh, Producers Foundation. So we donated money to support growers. And then in 2009, Producers Direct was formed with its own board um, and it's an independent charity. Uh, but we continue to invest money uh, into Producers Direct annually. And Producers Direct are really interesting because they are grower-led, really, as, a, as an organisation. So that means that smallholder growers sit on the board, as they do at Cafe Direct, um, and they really help inform kind of what's actually needed on the ground to make a difference um, to uh, smallholder growers' sort of livelihoods, but also just their quality of, um, of life and development in terms of business and uh, accessibility for young people and, and women uh, to um, be involved and, and make a kind of independent economic living as well. So uh, they do some really interesting projects, um, including the kind of buzzword at the moment in sustainability, if I may, um, <laughs> seems to be around um, restorative landscapes. And right. um, I kind of, I feel like I hear that a lot from other um, FMCGs and again from just the style of how Cafe Direct works we've been working with Produce Direct um, on a project in the northern part of Peru so Norandino Cooperative and basically um, helped support a small community and to incentivize them to plant 
a whole load of trees to support the soil, but also to kind of set up a relationship between this community and a coffee co-op, Norandino, below. And um, it, it, that happened over 10 years ago. And it's interesting now that um, just from that kind of thinking, I, uh, right, you know, right from back then, how we seem to be slightly ahead of that sense of um, looking at regenerative agriculture and, um, yeah, restorative landscape as a way to sort of support communities. So, Tim, what would you say your purpose is as an organisation? We, well, we, we try our purpose is to, um, is to improve, uh, well, it's better, better, better coffee for better business. It, it, that's it in its simplest area. And, and, I mean, and we mean that at every single level. So we work with great independent roasters. You know, we want to provide them with additional volume. We want to buy, we only buy coffee that's specialty grade to create a better business for the farmers. We, we want to work with firms where when we drop in a coffee that's got a great backstory, that's got real character, that it creates a better experience for them that they can share with their either their team, their employees or their prospects. And people can get excited and, and feel that this firm has got, um, has got uh, you know, it, it gives consideration to the way it buys things, the way it does business. So uh, it's a, bit, a better organisation. It's effectively a sort of a marketing activity, mm. uh, to put it very crudely. But we think that better coffee can create better business all around. So that is our, that is our purpose. Matt, where do you see Biobean going in the future? And how do you think you're able to influence change? I mean, the future is bright for Biobean. We're in a really good place. And you know, I've been here since we were definitely in startup sort of phase when I arrived. And we kind of, I feel that we've gone through our stroppy teenager years. And we're hopefully coming out into something a bit more kind of mature, which is great because it's just a bit more settled. Hopefully it will become, you know, the norm that if you're a business and be it a coffee shop or a big retailer or a restaurant, that you just go, and it's a no-brainer. You just go, right, my cooking oil needs to go here. My food waste needs to go here. Any food that, you know, I can actually put back into the food chain, you know, we need to share that with people as well. So we've become one of these kind of 10 or 12 segregated resources, which just become you know the, the, the normal thing to do there's also you know there's lots of new avenues we're exploring and whether that is you know bioplastics there's, there's the, the biochem side of it is really in its infancy right i can see big growth in that because we've got a whole floor of a laboratory um, which we at the moment use from the university of Hertfordshire. and i go in there and there's four or five people working every single day there's bits of kit i don't even know what they do but I, I mean, sitting on meetings and people tell me what is in this and what we can use it for and how we can segregate it, all done in a very environmentally friendly way because prior to us doing it, there was lots of techniques of extracting oil, extracting compounds, but lots of them were very heavy in using other chemicals. So we're trying to pioneer processes that are very gentle, but I think that's where the real growth is. But, you know, our coffee pellets... You know, we've only really, you know, we're sending to three or four people at the moment and there's lots of people out there that could, could utilise our, our pellets. I say, why chop down a, a virgin tree when you can actually make a pellet from, from waste? And if you can stop that all going to landfill, all the better. So, yeah, the, the future's bright. And, uh, you know, we're thinking at the moment, or we're thinking more than thinking, we're looking, uh, we've got some product landing in Europe in September. We want to test the market out there. A lot of coffee drunk in, in Europe and there's a lot of coffee factories in Europe. So sort of Northern Europe, Holland, Germany, 
we've got our sights on potentially doing a mainland European bio bean. So that'll be exciting. So yeah, there's the watch this space. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Graham, going back to what you're saying, I think you're future-proofing the way that we can buy and um, trade with each Mm -hmm. other around the world as well. Because we do have to take into consideration the environmental cost. And I think people don't actually think about that. They, they'll look at the origin and they will look at who the company is and the way their company is. So are they a B Corp, for example? But they may not necessarily think about the whole supply chain. And I think, well, business and the and consumers have proven in the past that they uh, can uh, contribute to changing things. Look at what the organic labels of have allowed the uh, what is the uh, association in the UK, the Soil Association, and what he uh, sort of uh, uh, certifies for the products that come from abroad. You know, that's actually allowed an improvement in the way agricultural practices uh, were performed around the world. And it's just that there's no carbon uh, label at the moment. So uh, we've been, for instance, looking at what the organic or the freight trade movements were doing. But we realized we needed to do something entirely different. And uh, because you are eventually the end payer for uh, the maritime shipping, but you don't know anything about uh, uh, how your T-shirt has come from China. You can't even find out, even if you were to investigate uh, what ship bought uh, your uh, coffee from Mexico, say, to the UK. So even if you wanted to do something better for the planet, you couldn't. With what we do, you've got to produce that uh Thanks to which you can find the information about the crossing and anyone understands that a, a 20 knot westerly prevailing wind allows you to come, you know, in a favorable manner uh, back to Europe. And uh, this is how we want to explain this because this is part of our sort of maritime identity, dignity, and we're all part of it. We, we all should know uh, what happens out there on the sea uh, uh, for um, the products from, from overseas. So, Rox, uh, what is your regenerative strategy for at, at Cafe Direct? It's something we're really, uh, we're really excited about exploring. I'd say that's what that's the stage we're in at the moment. So, part of our ambitions is to publish our regenerative agriculture strategy by the end of next year. Um, and so, part of that journey has already started, and we had this incredible conversation. Uh, the Cafe Direct team also got the opportunity to speak with Phil Graves, who's the VP of Patagonia. Um, and Patagonia have been piloting this incredible certification called ROC, which sounds like me, but it's not. It stands for Regenerative, <laughs> <laughs> Regenerative Organic Certification. Um, and they sort of sit on the board and are fed into this because they recognize that the products that Patagonia source, but also like-minded businesses as well um what they want to obviously do something in a way that is responsible um for the entire environment um and they take organic as kind of a baseline but then also look at other practices that support that so anyway in in those conversations we had this fascinating conversation about this um and we realized that our coffee buyer matt mcdonald um, has got a close relationship with the coffee co-ops that we buy our coffee from. Because um, as I explained earlier, it's, it's direct trade. So we've got those relationships. 
And actually 90% of our co-ops um, already, just because of the way that they're smallholder growers, you know, they earn, they, uh, sorry, <laughs> own um, their land um, and, it, and it's small scale farming. Actually, they're, they're using regenerative agriculture methods anyway. Um, so it's interesting to see sort of where the benefits um, lie in having certification or not. Um, but it's, it's so fascinating because all the conversations feel like they're going in the right direction, um, particularly in the run up to COP next year. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And I think I think it's interesting that, I mean, because you are a coffee company and Patagonia are a clothing company, but you both of your products are grown in the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And then this kind of sense of recognising the intersections between, you know, people's livelihoods um, and protecting the you know, environment and the integrity of the soil where these products are grown. Um, and, you know, and in some instances, not in ours um, or Patagonia's, but animal welfare obviously comes into that too. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, we source from very different countries. I think Patagonia sourced quite a lot of their cotton from India um, and Cafe Direct works predominantly with coffee and tea and cocoa farmers in you know, Latin America and East Africa. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, there are a lot of parallels, a lot of synergies. And, and it's very exciting because, like us, Patagonia have got good relationships um, directly with growers. Um, right. And it feels like they're coming from it with, um, you know, from a farming perspective first um, and then looking at where the commercial sort of buy-in is a little bit later. I'd really like to learn more about what um, – I know we've talked about microfinance in the past and what Cafe Direct are doing, but could you give us um, a bit about those training programmes and what it is that you guys are doing? Yeah, sure. So um, so we work with Producers Direct. Um, Producers Direct have got a kind of four-tiered approach um, where um, microfinance is one of those tiers because accessing finance um, at a reasonable cost, as in so the interest isn't prohibitive, um, enables participation by those that are sort of most ostracised, which usually um, is women. Um, and young people, your kind of next gen farmers. So, having access to your own money um, obviously enables you to have control over what you do with it. So, it has huge ramifications, even though um, it seems quite a sort of simple um, process. It, it, it enables so much more to happen. So, for example, currently there's about um, in every coffee co-op that we work with, it tends to be around one in five um, members of women. Um, and so we've got an ambition to increase that to 50% within the next five years. But um, mm. Cafe Direct's kind of continued investment in Producers Direct, we've also got some joint projects that we're hoping will involve um, different customers in the UK as well. To um, you know, There seems to be a lot more interest in uh, and recognition, I think, for the the role that gender equality does play. This time next year, we'll be in the midst of COP26. Uh, you're hoping to participate um, within it, I believe. We are. And I think our, our main reason uh, for wanting to participate is uh, we'd like 
we really want to be collaborative and support our industry. Um, so whether that's through our networks like B Corp um, or Social Enterprise um, or Fair Trade, <laughs> uh, we we feel very strongly that um, supporting clearer climate goals translates to also supporting smallholder growers. So it just aligns very much with our with our ambitions. And also, Will, as you know, we've been working with Green Element um, uh, to map our carbon um, emissions within our supply chain. And we're very close now, as you know, um, mm. to kind of getting our kind of um, results and understanding where our impacts lie. And, and as we've discussed before, like our ambitions is to sign up next to the science-based targets because we think that's a credible way to um, map and monitor you know, our carbon emissions in line with you know, other businesses and, well, and really what the United Nations you know, global climate agreement is, is yeah. saying is, is what's necessary. Um, so I, I think it's very exciting. And I think that um, the science-based targets for you guys is actually incredibly important to recognize that it's actually very 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 hard for you to sign up to the science-based targets and the fact that you are wanting to sends such a clear message out about um you as an organization and if i could just explain why and it's because you're not a service-based industry you you're you have to attribute 75% of your emissions. Um, you have to calculate 75% of your emissions in order to be able to calculate your science-based targets. And your emissions are going to be much more complicated than that of a service industry and also will have much bigger ramifications for you to be able to have to reduce um, them in line with the 1.5 degree increase and stay in line and i think that is really really important to um take a note of because um i think it's not that i'm downplaying service companies and the science-based targets but i think that recognizing how hard it is for organizations like you to have them verified is well worth um reminding our listeners thanks bill i mean i i think i feel like it's all possible it's about redirecting the focus and yeah. we feel confident that we're part of um you know we're part of the community and part of like a, you know the networks i mentioned um and producers direct and so we're yeah i think it just feels the right thing to do and and cafe direct's always you know always been good at trying to do the right things <laughs> so Brilliant. yeah um but yeah, th- thank you ever so much, Dave. It's been so exciting to be part of the podcast. And yeah, I think um, Cafe Direct team generally are you know, looking forward to all things Christmassy. Um, <laughs> so. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being on this um, special podcast. Um, it was really great having you. Oh, thanks, Will. Okay, well, take care. <laughs> Thank you.
We hope you enjoy this Christmas special podcast in which we have tasted the different flavours and smell the aromas that sustainability is bringing to the coffee industry. Special thanks to our sponsor, Café Direct and Roxy Rocks Engelman. And our guests, William Legrand, Tim Wookie and Matt Keniston. And a massive thanks to you all, our listeners, to stick with us in the journey of sustainability. We're not saying goodbye to this season, not just yet. And we still have a couple of episodes to be released that you shouldn't miss out. Next year, we'll be back with more amazing stories of business leaders who are disrupting their industries to work towards a sustainable future for us all. We hope you have a lovely and happy Christmas. Please take care. Thank you so much for being a part of our journey. Thank you.